Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostol, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast, please check us out at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Oh, and I'm so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back. I am joined by Caleb Luna today. Hi, Caleb. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad. I've been following you as I find most of my guests have been following you on Insta. And I'm so interested in what you're doing and I'm deeply appreciative that you're here to chat with me. Um, oh, thank so, you. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Um, so why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are, Caleb? Um, yes. First and for- foremost, I am on Instagram. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I I uh, think of myself as a writer, a performer, and a public scholar. Um, I am an academic, uh, but uh, and I just finished my um, PhD in performance studies, Um but I also try to share my research and, and everything publicly because I know that I didn't have access to the university space for a long time. And I know that um, it's still quite a fraught um, space for very good reasons and for many reasons. Um, so uh, yeah, and then I like to just say beyond that, I'm just a fat slut in the world. I love that so much. I might make that the title of this episode, FYI. (laughs) Please, yeah. (laughs) So good. Oh, I love it. Well, um, first of all, congratulations on submitting your dissertation. That is a big fucking deal. So well done. Well done. Um, Oh, okay. So let's start, Vikes. We're going to dive into a whole bunch of things together. But let's start by exploring your relationship to the word fat. How did that journey go for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've been fat all my life and it was definitely a word that um, was used against me as a child. Um, and I know one of the things that I, that I um, think about in my dissertation is my own sort of journey, similar to my own journey into um, a fat queer embodiment. And I think about the cultural figures that shaped me and and allowed that um, journey to, to sort of happen um, or facilitated that journey for me, I should say. Um, and so that writing process helped me realize that um, I saw Margaret Cho's stand-up when I was in high school uh-huh. and she um, she was so formative to me in shaping my body politics and um, neutralizing the word fat and reclaiming it and rejecting diet culture and being sexy and fat, right? Um, And so I think um, she was a huge turning point where once I saw, you know, my junior, senior year of high school, um, saw Margaret Cho talk about being fat and, and, being okay with it, that kind of helped um, neutralize the word for me. And um, and then as I got into fat activism um, I, in my early 20s, that, um, you know, further sim- sedimented my, um, my relationship to the word. And um, now I have a tattoo that says fat babe nice. that I have with some, I share with some friends of mine. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, permanently <laughs> attached to me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I love that you mentioned Margaret Cho. Who oh are God. some, how are, who are some other people that influenced you? Just in case I always think about if anyone's listening and they just want like, let me check out these people to kind of do for 
them what they did for you. So Margaret Cho for sure. Yeah. Who else? Yeah. So the people that I write about um, in that sort of journey are Margaret Cho, uh, Beth Ditto of The Gossip and Divine. Um, Specifically, uh, and then I I write about Mark Aguhar, who um, was an artist that I found through Tumblr, um, who was, who felt the most, the closest to me up until that point. She was, um, you know, fat, Filipinx, um, genderqueer, non-binary, trans. Um, so I just, I, I felt the most affinity to her because um, the, you know, everyone else was like white or like, you know, even Margaret Cho is like, um, was a smaller fat um, in, mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. But um, yeah, and then somebody, uh, another contemporary artist that I really, really love is Dorian Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, those are the people, uh, the sort of influence, influential people um, for me. Yeah, yeah. And when, like, especially in those formative years, I think, I mean, this is going back, like you said, I think you mentioned high school, like, mm-hmm. and early 20s. What was it like to see representation like what how did it help you with the journey because for me I don't think I even paid attention or actually I was very um stuck in internalized fat phobia until I would say I'm 40 how old am I right now I'm 42 so probably like my mid 30s or mid early Mm -hmm. to mid 30s so I missed out on all of that positive influence that was there because I I reacted to it like the fat phobia that I had. So yeah. I'm just fascinated by the thought of having been able to take it in when I was in my teens and twenties and how that could have really shifted things for me earlier. So I'm just so curious. I want to live vicariously through you. Like <laughs> how, what was, what was that like for you being able to have that in your life? Um, yeah, it was, it was amazing to have, you know, we were talking before starting recording about permission, right? Mm-hmm. And just to receive the permission that you don't have to do this, to just opt out and that you can just like accept your body for the way it is, right? Um, and I think it was hugely influential. And also like another aspect of that that I'm coming into, I'm sort of coming into awareness now is that like, there are a lot of things um, that have shaped my experience and influenced my experience um, about my body that are not about me being fat necessarily, Mm -hmm. right? There are other um, disability, race, gender, you know, all of these things um, are other aspects that have been sources of insecurity or trauma or whatever. So, um, and but for a long time, I did reduce everything to fatness because, and oh, through, <laughs> yeah, um, and and through therapy, it, it's helped me kind of realize that like that is an expression of internalized fat phobia, also, right? To mm. just place everything on fatness, and it's like that was, I was I was just sort of regurgitating the world around me very much, so. Yeah. But um, but yeah, to an extent, it helped me. You know, Margaret Cho is very like. I, I rewatched the specials um, within the last couple of months to to write about them, and um, she's so clear about like the harms mm. that she experienced in um, pursuing weight loss and how and the the physical real harms. Um, and she's very clear that you know you don't have to do it, and you can just yeah. drop it and walk away. You know, and so to have received that when I was so young, even though it didn't make my experience in the, I mean, (laughs) it didn't necessarily make my experience in the world any easier, um, but it made, it gave me a better relationship to myself to understand that like the fat, that fat phobia that I was experiencing was not my fault and was, um, yeah, to kind of distance it a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's how I would answer that. It was it was helpful yeah. and it was beautiful and wonderful and it also wasn't a cure all necessarily. No, right? But even that knowledge of oh, 
I'm not the one who's wrong here is such a big deal. Um, and it reminds it reminds me of uh, there's a clip going around right now for, about Emma Thompson. And I think she was asked, have you seen this? Where she's asked no. on a, I think some kind of interview or something where they said, what is the one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? And she like literally no hesitation. She was like, don't diet. Just don't do it. Don't even start. And yeah. I was like, yes. Thank you, Emma Thompson, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, go ahead. I, I'm just, I think it's, it's so sad how many girls, especially, are placed on diets mm-hmm. so young, so um, especially young. in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, and one of the things that, um, I feel, you know, passionate about is then people are not at the center of fat, of fat politics and shouldn't be, but they are negatively impacted by fat phobia. Right. Hugely. And so to have yeah. a thin, normatively attractive celebrity, um, you know, I, I, I write about this in my dissertation too, with mm-hmm. uh, Beyonce and pretty hurts and the ways that she is pushing it. She's, sort of being like yeah like <laughs> I'm beautiful but at what cost you know and like yes. this is not um you know all it's kind of wrapped up to be so I, I really think that it's good that p- even people who benefit from fat phobia are speaking out against it yeah yeah I love that yeah um I want to I'm curious about something because when I of course read about you I saw that you were born in Texas and you were there for a number of years and then just recently mm-hmm. moved out to California when you mentioned all of your um, intersections and identities, and then I put it together with Texas, I'm curious, like, what role did living in the South, did it impact? Like, was there a cultural component there that you had to reckon with as well as a kid, being who you were? Um, yeah, I I very much identify as Southern, as Texan, especially now being in California, um and just you know culturally like as so I grew up in the Houston suburbs um and um I also I I very much come from like a stereotypical like or or the the bad fat family that um is invoked in these scare tactics about like Uh. black and latinx communities and obesity right like my mom loves soda i been drinking soda all my life I grew up on like hamburger helper Mm -hmm. and like you know fast food and that was very much like my mom um wasn't a cook and for she like beyond having the like time and resources that just like was not a skill that she had and Mm -hmm. she felt very insecure about it right so um there is that aspect of it where um I think food culture was a little bit we, we like we didn't have access to um to good food like I think about growing up the grocery store was 30 minutes away and it was a Walmart oh wow Um, yeah and now I live a seven minute drive from Berkeley Bowl which is this you know like I would call it a health food store other people would just call it a grocery store but it's like (laughs) half the store is produce you know Mm. and like um so it's just, it's, so there's things about just like geography, um, about culture. And then as I grew up um, and I moved to Houston because every queer leaves their suburb to move to the closest <laughs> big city, not yeah. every queer, but that was very much my dream. Yeah. Um, even like living in Houston and returning to the suburbs, I noticed that there was, there are more fat people in the suburbs than there were in the cities. Mm. Um, and so as much as, um you know, there is a sort of fat, like fatness is more prominent in the South. It's still um, geographic in these ways. It's still racialized in these ways. Um, you know, I look just like my dad. We're, sh- we're like shaped yeah. the same, like everything. <laughs> and so that's another part of it too, of just like, accepting that my body was going to look like this no matter what um, because of, of my family and, and because of our racialization. Um, But I, I, I wish I had the confidence though, when I was living there to understand, like um, to pursue 
like I, I wasn't very active with sex and dating when I was um, in my, living in Houston in my early 20s. Um, and I was still very insecure about my um, my role and location in that. Um, mm-hmm. And I wish, <laughs> in retrospect, I'm like, damn, I really could have cleaned up <laughs> if I would have just known right? that I could. Yeah. So, uh, that, yeah. that's a bit of my experience. <laughs> I love that. Well, and all of those experiences, I'm so curious how that led you to want to study fatness, to actually do something called fat studies, which as I was saying to you before we start recording, I, I had just, and I worked in the academic sector for like 15 years. I worked at universities mm-hmm. and at colleges and I had never heard of fat studies until one of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I thought, whoa, and this is maybe like three, four years ago. I thought, what? There's a whole department of fat studies that people are yeah. actually doing research into. However, I never heard of this. So one of the reasons I really wanted to chat with you was to share that with others, to know that this is something that's being studied. And can you tell us, a, maybe let's start a little general, like what what actually is fat studies? What are people looking at? Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll back up just a little bit and, yeah. and share. There are, um, so there's two kinds of strands to it. There is a strand called obesity studies. Ugh, we don't like which, that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Which is primarily non-fat people studying obesity and how to cure it. And it's very scientific. It's very like STEM. um, Right. And it's like, you know, the lab coats and the Mm -hmm. Petri dishes and all that. Um, And it's very supported by Novo Nordisk. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So fucking biased. And they make way more money than me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To be clear. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then... Fat studies is more is on the social stu- uh, social social sciences humanities side yeah. um, that is prim- predominantly uh, populated by fat scholars, but not always. Um, that looks at the social experience of fatness mm. and how fatness is. Um, you know, this I think this term can be a little bit overused <laughs> to some degree, uh, but socially constructed, right? That like our yeah. our relationship to fatness has been constructed that way by specific forces for specific reasons. Yeah. Um, and so the field, I think it's it's fairly young. Um, I think my understanding is that it's it. Uh, I think well. <laughs> People have been writing about fatness for a long time. I don't think it was um, cohered into an academic field until I would say around 2000, right? Yeah. So there are definitely like texts that I would call consider fat studies that predate the founding of the field. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, I think that, and I think about fat studies in waves, not unlike feminism, right? Where I think mm-hmm. the first wave was very much um, you know, white cis het women talking about, you know, were the really the central focus of the field because for so long, um, those were the voices that were the most vocal or most listened to about fat oppression. Um, right. and I think that there's, I have my own theories about why that is. Um, and I, I think now fat studies is expanding into thinking more about race and, um, you know, genders that aren't cis women and sexuality. And so there have been all these um, new studies about fat trans people and fat queer people and fat people of color and um, and all of that. And so my, my work is really trying to um, make, make fat studies or put fat studies in conversation with queer theory, with critical race theory, mm with gender studies um, and disability studies and all these uh, fields that I feel um, aren't necessarily speaking to one another as Mm -hmm. well as, you know, show how it's relevant to thin people as well. Right. And and the ways that thin people engage um, or benefit from bad oppression, sometimes Mm -hmm. to their own detriment as well. Right. 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 So um, that's, that would be kind of my, 
overview on the field. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating how you're kind of also looking at it as well in this kind of, I love how you said it, how fatness is in conversation with all these other yeah, uh, possibly, you know, constructed versus non-constructed um, identities as well, right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I One of the, the wonderful things about my graduate program was that I was able to teach courses, t- design and teach my own courses. And uh, my last semester, I taught a class called Intro to Fat Studies, Race, Gender, Sexuality, and mm-hmm. kind of able to... Um, to not just be like, you know, I think, you know, there's, again, I would say the first wave of fat studies was um, demystifying and debunking a lot of the scientific myths around like correlations between size and health and Mm -hmm. movement and all that. Um, And it's like, okay, that's all like well and good, but like, Mm -hmm. and we can, you know, that's necessary to do for these students that are coming in to, just help them understand, but we also need to understand that it's so much about race. It's so much about class, you know, your size impacts your sexuality, not just in um, who's attracted to you, but in how you can have sex and, and how you want to have sex and the kinds of sex that are available to you Mm -hmm. um, and the kinds of the sex that are, is possible to you. Um, And yeah, it was really cool to see. I had one, my, my, evaluations for uh one of my students was like you know I took gender studies and like uh critical race theory classes in high school which first of all just like blew my fucking mind yeah well that... done high school oh <laughs> exactly. my god like really <laughs> coming from Texas like I so <laughs> could not even imagine um but yeah these you know these kids are learning it in high school now um Amazing. but the student was like it didn't come together for me like until this class yeah in this way yeah um which I feel very proud of and I think also mm-hmm. um I think there is something about fat embodiment and fat studies that can sort of reveal all those um intersections because even you know as a person of color and like we people say like race <laughs> I get so annoyed when when people use skin color as like um, a euphemism for race or racism or like, you know, it's just because of the color of your skin, we're going to discriminate you or whatever. And it's like, race is not actually about the color of our skin. It's Mm-mm. about, yeah, it's about our uh, the, the color of our skin, but it's also about the size of our bodies, the shape of our bodies, the shape of our bodily features, right? The shape of our yeah. eyes, nose, mouth, ears, hair. Like it's so much yeah. more complicated than just the color of our skin. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and even the size of our bodies, but, um, yeah, I went on a little tangent there. No, it's, no, it's so said, true. <laughs> well, I actually, when I was checking, when I was checking you out, I, um, I saw the syllabus and I looked at it and I thought, oh, I want to take that class because I think you're hitting on something so important, which is that it is, it, and this is where I, okay, so. Let me stop for a minute because there's like, again, I'm doing that thing where there's 10 things I want to ask you. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I get really frustrated by when it comes to fatness is like you said, they we are we know, we absolutely know that fatness and health are not connected. We know that a fat person does not equal an unhealthy person. And mm-hmm. yet, and yet, <laughs> that is what is pumped out by these obesity studies researchers, yep. all paid for by pharma. And then I get called a, you know, a conspiracy theorist by people who will not open to the truth. So I guess yeah. what I'm so curious about, first of all, I think part of the complicating factors of why the truth is not actually known is not only obviously money involved capitalism, of course, and our wellness culture and ableism culture and all that stuff that is designed to um, not want this truth to come out, but also what you were speaking to, which is the complexity and the nuance that is involved with fatness. It's not just, oh, a fat person. It's like you said, it's like, all the different aspects of race, of bodies, of Mm -hmm. neurodivergence, of gender, of, and it all comes together. And we're terrible with nuance as a people in general. 
I guess what I'm curious, because you've studied this in a deeper way and and totally, I'm totally putting you on the spot. So totally okay if you don't have thoughts on this, but I guess I'm really curious, like at what point or is there a way to start to shift? Like at what point does fat studies actually replace obesity studies? At what point do the pharmaceutical companies stop fucking winning? (laughs) the general population's understanding of fatness and other oppressions. Like, is the, I guess, you know what I'm asking you? Is there any hope, Caleb? Can you give yeah. me any hope? <laughs> um. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so part of, another part of my work is um, trying to center um, the production of fat phobia and race and all of that within the context of the colonization of the Americas and the transatlantic slave trade, right? Because those are the foundations of the world that we live in. And we tend to think of them as in the past with no bearing on what's happening today. Um, And actually it has everything to do with, Mm. um, with what's happening today. And so one of the two, books that I, um, that are foundational to how I think are, um, well, they're right here, but (laughs) it's an audio. I'll show you and I'll talk about them for the guests. Um, this, the body of the conquistador food Mm -hmm. race and the colonial experience in Spanish America, 1492 to 1700 by Rebecca Earl. So she's a British historian who goes into, and she actually looks at Columbus's Mm. literally, Christopher fucking Columbus's diaries. And from the beginning, there's this anxiety about food and health and bodily production because, you know, they're, they're colonizing this land. There's all this disease. The natives are dying. They don't know why they're dying. They just think that natives have a weaker constitution. Mm. And so they're, um, logical process is well we need to bring our european foods over and reproduce the european diets here so that we can produce a european body that can withstand the colonizing process right and so from the jump um it's not about the what's happening around uh the social and historical context of the world it's about the food and our own individual responsibilities and processes mm. um, in our body. And I, I see that in even the ways that we, um, you know, writing about this in the COVID-19 pandemic has been, yeah, has just made it so clear how, how close we still are to these logics that, um, <laughs> you know, your health status <laughs> is is your up to you alone and is all only about the food that you eat and not about the ways that people are interacting with the world around you right, right. um which i'll just like to go back to health like even before the pandemic like i was so frustrated by that narrative because i'm like we don't actually live in a world that values our health like before the no. pandemic the big push was for universal health care. And it's like, how can you, and at the same time, people are coming at me about the quote unquote health concerns of obesity. And I'm like, girl, you don't, we don't live in a culture that actually values health because if we did, we would all have access to health care and we don't. Yeah. So like, it's like the wrong is, question. Like you're not even yeah. asking the right question. We can't even have this conversation. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and now, you know, I'm just like, I get so frustrated when I, I'm still masking, still, you know, social distancing mm. as much as possible, as, as difficult as it, as it remains. And I get so frustrated when I'm out in public and I'm one of the few people masking. And I'm just like, I've been told my whole life to like value health mm-hmm. and the easiest, simplest thing I can do to protect myself and others is wear a mask and not only am I the one like the the one that's like health conscious and masking but then I get like I feel like the assumption is that I'm masking because I'm unhealthy and I'm unhealthy yes. because I'm fat right yeah so it's just just like circular logic and oh that's infuriating it's so, it's so frustrating yeah um 
but I want to, that was a tangent. I want to <laughs> talk about this other book yeah. um, too, this other like hugely foundational book. Uh, and I'll, I'll say the body of the conquistador is, um, she doesn't talk about fatness necessarily. She just mm-hmm. talks about food and embodiment and the, the production of race through that. Um, but I, I read fatness into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this book, Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by mm-hmm. Serena Strings, um, does such an incredible job of tracing the historical production of, um, of fatness through European thinkers and philosophers, academics, scientists, you know, all these people that we place our trust in um, and how they produced these ideas and circulated them so much uh, into culture that they even though anti-Blackness is at the root of fat stigma, um, it has gone on to impact everyone, you know? Yeah. And so my work really tries to recenter um, Black and Native um, thought and life and liberation mm. in it as part of the Fat Studies Project because yeah. the whole reason we're oppressed as fat people is because this land was colonized and as part of that just like as part of that process there had to develop justifications for it and they had to develop hierarchies of bodies and and fatness was one of those bodily hierarchies that was produced yeah absolutely yeah I I had written down a question that I wanted to ask you and you may have just answered it I'm not sure but what what do you think that the general public doesn't know about fatness that you're like, God, if only everyone knew this thing. Um, uh, that's such a long pause. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I'm like, I think that's, yeah, a long I mean, pause I, it. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would it would be that, you know, that we've been lied to and that um, the concerns around fatness are a red herring for um, just the fact that like people want to oppress others and this is one way they do it. And we don't have to do that. Mm -mm. And that I would hope that that knowledge would awaken people to be like I don't want to be oppressive either um but that might be naive of me I don't know (laughs) are you are you are you eternally hopeful Caleb I want to be I think it's important I think optimism is important I don't know that I'm always there (laughs) but I want to be there you know because we, you know, kind of like with this pandemic, like it's here, we have to figure out a way to, to make it. And we can't do that without optimism. Yeah. And joy. Right. Yeah. To bring it back to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I feel like that too. I feel like I, I, I keep kind of returning back to optimism because if I don't, then I just want to lie in bed all day and give up because there's just so overwhelming how much work there is still to do and how little is actually understood and how easily we are so manipulated by messaging from, from that that's connected to oppression. I just, Oh yeah. I have to, I just focus on like, all right, I'm just going to keep like my side of the street clean. Like I just focus on my little bit. Um, I, one of the things that you had mentioned that you are thinking about these days that you're exploring is the erotic and fatness. And I think you called it fat erotics. So this idea of pleasure and fatness, and I'm, I would love to hear more about that. Can you tell us a little more um, about what that, yeah. Like, what does that mean for you? What are you exploring there? Yeah. um, So Obviously, or <laughs> maybe not obviously, um, but Audre Lorde famously theorized the erotic as 
um, a source of internal power that is about um, sex and sexuality, but is is really about pleasure and about mm. being at deeply attuned to what brings you pleasure and what um, mm. yeah, sort of what nourishes you. And she, I, in her essay, she talks about you know, she's like, yes, sex, but it's also building a bookcase or painting a mm-hmm. fence, right? Or anything that sort of brings peace and and joy <laughs> into your life, right? And so um, in my work, I think about it as, I think sex is a big part of my thinking and life uh, and um, writing. And so I think about um the fat erotic through sex, but not just sex through kink and um, and part of that being, um, part of the fat erotic also being um, the pleasure and joy of eating, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's um, something that people of all sizes experience, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, and my... And my writing, we were you were talking about um, uh, guest, um, mm. yeah, Luna Ma- guest, yes. yeah, Luna Matadas, yeah, sex and pleasure educator, yeah. Um, and so, and in my dissertation, um, feederism actually comes up a lot, which becomes like a very fraught. Oh, can you explain what ex- that is? Yes, feederism? I'm happy to explain feederism <laughs> to people. So, feederism is a practice of um, gaining erotic pleasure from feeding somebody and watching them eat and watching them get fatter over time. And it can Mm -hmm. be um, a dynamic between two people, between yourself. Um, It can be both or multiple people in a dynamic can be feeders, right? And so the the inverse of a feeder is a gainer. but it's a it's a kinky practice that um, I'm not necessarily endorsing and don't co-sign. And I have my own questions about, um, but it's something that at, when I was exploring my sexuality as a fat, per, as a, yeah, as a fat queer person um, and trying to figure out where it was pop- because I had grown up with this narrative, right? That fat people are not desirable, not sexy, mm-hmm. not wanted, not lovable. Um, and then I stumbled into this community of feeders where I was like, oh, like this, you actually want fat people and you want to make people fatter. And yeah. so that just became like, it's an interesting practice to me just as sort of a counter narrative to the dominant culture. Yes. Right. Um, yes. And as, as a, again, as a kinky practice, as a way that um, sex can look different than heteronormative penetrative sex, um, and that a, way, that a way that fat bodies can be incorporated into mm-hmm. sex um, and these, these as sites of pleasure for both themselves and for others. Yeah. Um, and so I, I re, you know, I love... Beyonce and I write I said I write about Beyonce and um I love the song Formation and and when she says in Formation when he fuck me good I take his ass to Red Lobster I'm like hello this is feederism <laughs> you know this is food and sex and like yeah. food as a reward for sex food mm-hmm. as an extension of sex <laughs> right and so that's one way too that I think that um that thin people are, or non-fat people are able to engage in what I call fat Mm. erotics, even like, you know, it's not uncommon to like incorporate food into sex um, for people of all sizes and sexualities, right? And, but that's not necessarily something that we think about as Mm. a fat erotic. And so Mm. there's a part of me where I'm like, like, because, you know, as Sabrina Strings and Fearing the Black Body, um, sort of unpacks is that part of the ways that fat phobia was developed through anti-blackness was through the uh, framing Africans as um, uniquely susceptible to sensual pleasure, 
right? And that was part of their racial uh, degradation that they, because they were so, um, they didn't have the like superior, like re- logical reasoning that Europeans did to sort of withstate, withhold themselves from mm-hmm. pleasure um, and to practice restriction. Um, and so therefore that made them lower on the racial hierarchies. Um, so when I see, you know, non-fat, non-black people engaging in sensual pleasure and indulgence, um, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like, this is like the thing that you um, have developed hundreds of years of fat phobia around and here you are engaging in it. Yeah. How interesting. <laughs> yeah. And like, how does that get reconciled, you know, in a deeper way within those people? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. Something you said really sparked for me around this idea of the, that feederism presented, I may not get the words right, Caleb, correct me, but how feederism um, presented a counter narrative to what you had grown up with. And I feel like uh-huh. my version of that is even hearing from people I was dating. Oh no, I prefer bigger bodies. Yeah, I remember hearing that for the first time. And I, and I think my jaw dropped and I looked at this person. I said, don't like, why are you, why are you joking with me? Like how yeah. don't, don't like make fun. Like it was, I, I couldn't even understand that that could be a preference absolutely and that that was okay that you could say it and actually believe it so that was I remember that being a huge moment for me in my 20s and uh yeah so even when you so it's just interesting when we we when these counter narratives get presented what they how they can suddenly just open our worlds in such yeah. a bigger way like what i my body gets to be okay i actually get to enjoy food as opposed to being quote unquote the good fat and i only eat salad or whatever yeah. you, you know like there's this i love i've been reading and learning a little more about pleasure and pleasure activism um i took a I took a workshop with Kai Cheng Tom, just they, oh, yeah. they do a lot of work um, around pleasure activism. And just, it's so interesting. Cause again, this is one of those things that's so tied together, which is again, why you probably did a whole PhD on it. <laughs> Can you tell me more about the, I think the food piece is really interesting. Like you mentioned like a buffet, mm-hmm. right. And how there's this idea around a buffet being something really pleasurable, but oftentimes fat people feel like they can't enjoy it. They kind of withhold from pleasure. Like, did you focus on the individual or more of the societal level of these dynamics? What's, what did you explore with this? These ideas? Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll also say I had my own experience of realizing that people were attracted to me because I was fat and that people um, prefer that, you know, and it yeah. was such a, huge shift in how I approached um because before then I had always felt like I was coming at from a deficit that like people were um with me for something else some other reason and I had to like make up for it in some way and (sighs) and that realization really helped me lean into like the things about my body that are sexy because I'm fat and that there are people that are uniquely and specifically attracted to me for those reasons and like after realizing that I'm like why would I ever go back to somebody that I felt like I had to prove or that I had to any that was like earn it in some other way because my body wasn't enough yeah oh yes I know get that I'm so glad Um, you had those moments I hope so many people listening have had those moments and if you haven't oh look for them look for them yeah and even like, oh, I have, I have so many, um, who was I t- talking to? I don't remember who told me this, but I've talked to like a few thin people who are partnered with fat people who mm-hmm. um, have talked about having to um confront their own internalized fat phobia in order to be with their partner because they couldn't understand, they couldn't accept that they actually were attracted to their partner. Right. Um, They've been told their whole lives, right? That you shouldn't be. Yeah. 
Um, so I think even if people are not as outwardly explicit with it, that that, that is there in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but to go back to, to your <laughs> what you were saying, uh, or to the question at hand, um, yes, I write about, like, um, my, my chapter, my dissertation kind of um, travels through... Uh, it starts with like my experience encountering Margaret Cho um, mm-hmm. and, you know, her political education into anti-diet culture for me through that. And then mm-hmm. um, travels into the ways that, um, you know, as a, as a lifelong Beyonce fan, the ways that I've witnessed her sort of respond to these uh, cultural pressures as um, a Black woman who mm-hmm. are so... Who, and Black womanhood is so central to the development of, of fat phobia and, and womanhood generally. And this is why I think that uh, white women have been so central to fat studies historically because um, the, the construction of womanhood and the racialized construction of womanhood has been so central to uh, how we think about fatness. Um, yeah. and, and then um, I uh, look at... A, there's a conversation that happens on season nine of Drag Race where these uh, contestants of color talk about their eating disorders mm. and and link it back to um, the body pressures of the gay male community, right? And so um, the, the the ways that that even then people are having to negotiate with these um, with fat phobia and as queers of color, like you you know, fat phobia isn't as a huge added oppression (laughs) and you know life is already really fucking hard Mm -hmm. for queers of color right so like i get it you don't want to add another Mm -hmm. um another layer of that um but i i end with um mark aguhar in a video a performance that she does uh called daddy loves feeding me treats and i read it as a sort of feeder dynamic where she um, is, is basically just getting fed these donuts one after another in this way that, um, you know, she, um, it's, it's a very, very rich piece and it's, mm. it's about race and sexuality and feederism and all this, but, mm. you know, um, but basically, I think that she sort of leans into these tropes of like the uncivilized yeah. um, native, essentially, and and digs into these colonial dynamics of of white men and and colonization um, to kind of reclaim them and center herself and mm-hmm. finds pleasure um, through that, you know, and that's kind of where I, I think of that as a sort of map or a roadmap and how do we, um, within the structures that we have available, how do we reclaim agency? How do we reclaim pleasure? Because again, as fat people also, like we don't always think that we are deserving of pleasure. We don't think mm-hmm. that we can access it, that... Um, that that like pleasure has to be a reward of some kind for yes for something that we don't have and and that we can actually we deserve that just for being alive and so and that's like obviously you know transparently comes from my own personal journey of of trying to be like okay like this is like um so like having to decide like pleasure is important to me and I want and need to pursue it um in this way uh, and so it comes from that too from my own journey and relationship to pleasure and and yeah. not always feeling it not always feeling like I deserve access to it and now being in a moment of of finding of accessing it and accessing it in ways that are available to me through my fans yeah oh, I love that and I also love that you're starting to like you're you're pointing to that we get to just like you said we get to have pleasure 
just by existing. We don't have to earn it. There's such a, there's such a, what's the word? Not morality, but there's such a construct around. I wonder if it's tied to like toxic productivity and hustle culture where everything has to be earned. Like you have to suffer first in order to earn a scrap of pleasure, but not too much pleasure because you know, there's this whole, it's so, and, and I bought puritanical. into it, right? And I bought into it my yes. whole life, Caleb. I just, I'm, I'm so, again, I wish I had woken up <laughs> to some consciousness around this I in know. my twenties, but yeah, like this self-flagellation, self-punishing way that we live. Um, it just, it just cycles and cycles. And then I think this is where pleasure activism is trying to kind of break that further and say, no, actually you get to have pleasure whenever you want every day, even. And it's shocking for people. It's quite shocking to realize that, oh, I deny myself pleasure all the time. Why do I do that? Oh, let me go a little deeper. So I love that you're focusing on that and tying it into fatness, because again, I think fat people, even more so get the messaging of, well, no, until you're thin, you don't get to have pleasure. You've got to earn it, but you can't have it until you look like the top hierarchy of bodies, you know? Right, right, right. Because of the, um, and I, I, this is something I've had to work through also, like with myself, um, the perception that fat people are fat because of overconsumption, which, um, which is really about an overindulgence, which is assumed to be pleasurable, right? And so we walk around with these bodies that are marked uh, as li- as having lived lives of leisure and pleasure, regardless of our, our actual history. And so for me, having to having to be like, no, just because I look like I've, <laughs> or like people might think that I've had a pleasurable life because of my body, like, doesn't necessarily mean that that's true. Um, And so having to, yeah, undo that disciplining of Mm -hmm. myself, of, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, realizing that that (laughs) I, um, I deserve pleasure too. Absolutely. Do you know who I feel? You've mentioned Beyonce and I, and yes, love Beyonce. I am so enamored by, mm, I think everything that Lizzo does right now for a lot of these reasons, you know, when she's sitting, no makeup, no bra, her boobs are literally resting on the table and she's just eaten so close to the camera and she's eating her vegan hot dog or whatever it is and talking and crying. And I'm just, I'm looking at her thinking, whoa, this is a fat person who has given them, like truly given themselves true permission to be who they are. Her naked butt everywhere. I love shaking it. Like there's everything she's doing. I am in awe of with how she is with pleasure and delight and her yeah. body. I mean, I've, I've, have we ever seen anything like this? Uh, not that I can recall. Yeah. I mean, I think um, that's why people hate her so much. Why <laughs> people are so angry at yeah. her because yeah. they want her to hate, they want her to hate herself though, as mm-hmm. much as, they hate themselves, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, I think it's true of any, you know, any time a, a person is activated by fa- a fat person mm-hmm. living th- authentically um, is because of their own shit. I just had this experience traveling back. Um, I went to, I was, I had a very short trip this weekend or last weekend. Um, it on my flight back, I wore a shirt that I had cut out to, as like a crop top and it had like really big armholes. So my side rolls were like coming out because I love this shirt. It's very comfortable. It's very yeah. cute. You know, everybody's like trying to be comfortable and cute on a flight. And I oh, go yeah. to check my bag and one of um the gate, like the gate agent supervisor like approaches me and is like, Oh, excuse me. Do you have a cover up? Because we don't like have an official, uh, 
dress code policy, but, you know, we are concerned with decency. Pardon me. And, yeah, it was extremely fucked up. Oh, my God. But also so clear that, like, that was her own shit that she was projecting onto me and that she wanted me to have the shame about my body that she has about hers. Yeah. Um, And it was, it was... I was proud that I was able to recognize that, that like, this is your shit and like, you don't need to put it on me and fuck you. Yeah. Um, Wow. But also like, yeah, I I think of that about, I, and also as like, you know, Lizzo's blackness and and womanhood is so central to that too. Yeah. Yeah. As to (laughs) people's response to her. But um, I think similarly, like, you know, there's a historical figure named uh, Sarchi Bartman um, mm. who uh, Sabrina Strings writes about in Fearing the Black Body, and, and she's been written about in a few other texts as well. Um, but she was basically a fat South African uh, woman who was exhibited in human zoos oh. in London and Paris yes. um, as this, like, grotesque figure of difference and as this, like, as archetypical of Africans and and was very central to sedimenting um, fatness and its connection with blackness and black womanhood, especially in the sort of European imagination and the ways that we, all the the tropes of um, fatness that we continue to live with today. And I, I think we have seen this before, you know, like a couple of hundred years ago, but the difference is that Sarge Bartman didn't have the agency to perform mm-hmm. her body the way that she wanted to. And Lizzo does. And I think that that, and for mm-hmm. her to have um, the agency to perform her body and then to choose to use her agency in the mm-hmm. way that she does. Yeah. I think both of those things are very threatening to, people who are anti-black racist and people who are fat you know absolutely um and i just yeah she's yeah the vma we're recording this the night after the vma is where she you know she's been such a conversation uh, a topic of conversation and i've been like she just gets so much hate for mm-hmm. so unnecessarily and mm-hmm. it was so incredible to see her be like i don't have to respond to you because i'm winning yes and you know <laughs> and it's like yes like yeah you don't yeah because people are fucking miserable yeah and, and you're just living yeah can i ask caleb how did you respond mm-hmm. to the gate gate attendant or flight attendant in the airport what how did like that's a horrifying situation how what did you yeah. do um, I just told her I have, I was like, yeah, I have a cover up in my bag because your planes are very cold. Mm. And I kind of just made it about my needs and not about my body. And, mm. um, you know, I wish I would have honestly, w- wish I would have responded more forcefully and uh, more directly. But I was, it was like very early. I had very little sleep and no food. And so, um yeah I was just like mm, no I'll you know and then I was like <laughs> I was like I didn't even want to put on my cover-up now because fuck right you, now I'm, exactly. I'm cold <laughs> <laughs> I know it's always I always wish I'm definitely one of those people who does not have good responses in the moment but I think yeah. of a million five minutes later after the situation exactly. is over and I torture myself because I'm like oh I should have said this and this and this and this yeah, and I think it's because it's such a surprise when it happens. Like, that's the last thing yeah. you're expecting from yeah. someone who has lots of fat people flying all over the day, considering 60% of our population is a size eight, 16 or 16 and higher, I think, is 60%. Uh, so it's yeah. it's just, it's it's shocking when it still happens. Um, yeah. Mm. I'm so sorry that happened. That's so frustrating. Thank you. Yeah, it was fucked up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, like, you know, I'm not, I also, I'm aware of what I'm doing when I wear that shirt. And yeah, I'm aware that yeah. I'm making people uncomfortable. And and my hope yeah. is 
that they will interrogate their discomfort. Yes, <laughs> you know? Right. And I don't think that's, oh, I think that's my own naive optimism. <laughs> but, I know, love it. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's always successful, but you know, well, it's, it's, I'm not, yeah, I'm not unaware of what I'm doing. Yeah. That's, yeah. That comes with the territory. Yeah, I have these earrings. I have one set of earrings that are very big, full glitter, full like shine that say fuck diet culture. And I've worn them out mm-hmm. to like brunch. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, come yeah. on, come on, someone say something. <laughs> and then I have these <laughs> I have these other earrings that are um, gender neutral. So it's a very fat body on its on their stomach, magenta pink, huge hoops. And I just... I find I I wear them because yeah I want people to be uncomfortable and I just I I know and you know what's funny though no one has said anything to me yet um like other that was other than that was complimentary like great earrings I'm like right um yeah. and uh and I I always think like what am I going to say in that moment I just want to be like do you know who I am like I kind of want to pull like that ah <laughs> uh, like I'm just imagining you saying do you know who I am? I'm Caleb. I have a PhD in fat studies and I'm about to school you. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's the thing though, is that walking down the street, like people Mm -hmm. don't know who I am and and I get treated just, you know, and yeah, it's, I mean, I, I feel, I feel at most in the doctor's office when I can. Yeah. Because I have so I have so much medical trauma, and so yeah. as I think a lot of fat people do, most if not all. Yeah. Um, but the the doctor's office is one place where I really feel like I can I feel empowered to be like, mm-hmm. no, actually, motherfucker, mm-hmm. we are gonna go head to head right now, and I can, yeah, you know, leverage my credentials. But it's it's so that. much harder in these like, yeah, in these other spaces, and also they don't care half the time. I mean, I've, I've tried, I always, I, I, I kind of made a deal with myself. I try to educate once. And then if it's obvious, they're not interested, then I'm like, all right. So my gynecologist, my family doctor, various other people I've interacted with, I try. And then if they, if they're not interested, if they don't like accept my offer of, I have some really great medical resources I could share with you. Or if you want to learn more about this, I've got some great book recommendations. If they don't engage and I say, all right, that's fine. I'm not going to waste my, my energy on you anymore. But yeah, that's a big part of living in a fat body is that emotional labor piece can be a real part of it. Um, Which leads me, Caleb, to asking you about fat joy and pleasure and how like how do you since you study this so deeply you walk in the world as a fat person as along with other identities so how do you connect with joy and pleasure and you know I took a you wrote a book called Revenge Body and I grabbed a little blurb from it where it says then so the question I want to ask you is and this is directly from your book blurb which is how do you forage alternative paths for a new tomorrow for yourself. I love that by the way. But so how do you do that for yourself? Thank you. Um yeah, I I think just you know, not denying myself pleasure. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I'm going to eat the thing that I want and and not feel bad about it. Um and not punish myself for it and not make like uh 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 what's the word like um compromise with myself that this means I have to get up tomorrow at yes. 5 a.m and no penance. miles yeah <laughs> um yeah just accepting your body for where what it is and where it's at and that that is gonna change day to day um and uh yeah and and giving it what it asks for um and and that's an ongoing process and an ongoing journey and I I feel so much about so much of my frustration of 
fat phobia for me has been that it's um it's really disconnected me from my body and from my own bodily cues and and yeah. made it really hard for me to understand when I'm hungry actually because mm-hmm. I spent so long shaming myself anytime I felt a hunger cue and now trying to reconnect to what that means and approach it neutrally mm-hmm. um it means wearing what I want you know and um and allowing myself the accommodations that I need, especially, you know, as I'm aging and I'm disabled and I've been disabled for a really long time, but have not understood that or accepted it until mm. recently, you know? Um, and, and so it means letting myself, like I went out dancing last night and I wore my knee braces and yeah. um, it was a supportive way for me to like, be what I, I do what I wanted to do and, and support my body so that I didn't wake up in tons Mm. of pain today, you know? Um, and and those, those things are how I navigate it. Um, and I think above all being a slut. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) That might be the title of this episode. (laughs) And above all, being a slut. <laughs> uh, Caleb, it has been so, so wonderful chatting with you. Thank you. I feel like I understand fat studies a little more. I think the work that you're doing is incredible. I'm so glad you're doing it. Thank you for contributing to a more public discourse and increasing public knowledge um, with the research and the writing and the, I think you perform as well. Like all of this that you're doing, it's it's helping everybody everybody as well so thank you caleb such a pleasure to have you thank you so much for having me this has been a true pleasure indeed yay before we go i'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way poems can have us feel in a different way and that's what this podcast is about expanding our hearts deepening our empathy and inviting in joy so each week you get a new poem Today's poem is called Hypothesis, and it's by Paul Tran. Whether it's true that the moth mistakes the candle's flame for the moon or the bioluminescent pheromones of another moth, I can't say. I was the candle. I was the flame conceived in and by reason of darkness nibbling on a darkening wick. When moth after moth after moth swarmed me with their powdery wings, I asked why. I asked how. I asked if I could survive knowing that not everything has a reason, that not everything is capable of or interested in reason. Nothing answered. Nothing spoke my language of smoke. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on the website at www.fatjoy.life, and on Patreon at patreon.com fatjoy. Please don't forget to check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. Talk again soon.